0: The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. We are going through this love life series, a love life between us and the living God. And when we think of a love life, you know, a love life, it has evidence. If if you're married and you're in love, there is some evidence to that. If you're Have friends that you love, there is some evidence to the friendships, to the love in the friendships. If you love your parents, there is some evidence of the love. Um, People can't say they love their parents if there's no evidence. You can't say you love your friends or your spouse if there's no evidence. There's always evidence. So, love is a big theme throughout the Bible. And I love in Matthew 22, these really quote unquote smart guys came to Jesus. And they popped the question, the big question. And they asked Jesus, uh, Jesus, what, what is the greatest of all, of all the commandments? At this time, there was over 600 commandments. Mm-hmm. And which, which one is the, the greatest one out of all these? And Jesus answered and said, the greatest is, is love. You want to know? It's love, L-O-V-E. That's the greatest command. And he, he broke it down two ways. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor As yourself these two summarize everything written in the law and the prophets this is the summary of god's will for our life the way our life should be a reflection of who we are should first be a reflection of whose we are and if we're a reflection of being children of the living god then there is an outflow of love to others in our lives that's even why the ten commandments when they were presented the first set of commandments the first four have to do with our relationship with god And the other six have to do with our relationship with others, because I think God knows that if we don't have a love relationship with him, we're not going to be able to have a love relationship with others. In fact, the love we need to love people is an outflow of our relationship with the living God. And so our love life should have some evidences. There's some things in that love life, and we're focusing this series on our love life with God we're breaking this down in sections, this Love Life series, and today we're talking about the area of worship. To talk about worship and what that means, some people might have a different understanding, a different opinion. What's amazing about the Word of God, it's living. The Bible says the Word of God is alive. It's actually alive, and it gives life, and it is revelation. And today we're going to be looking at some snapshots in Scripture that give us a profound insight to what worship really is. And I would like to suggest that this really all begins with intimacy. And if you're a note taker this morning, you might want to, you might want to write that down. This really begins with intimacy. What you'll find is everyone on the topic of love has a little different level of intimacy or a willingness to be intimate. Everyone's a little different. We oftentimes tell people when you meet People at church will say, Why don't you say hi to somebody next to you with either a hug, a handshake, or a high five? And the reason we do that is because some people like, I don't want to put a hug on anybody. And other people like, Come here. And they love different levels of intimacy. Other people like high five or handshake. Some people like knuckles. Whatever it is, everyone's got a different level of intimacy. It's the same with God. Some have an honor and respect of God, but when it comes to spending time and getting closer? I don't know. There's different levels of intimacy. And I would suggest to you, if there's one thing you get today out of today's message, worship is about intimacy. That is the basis. In fact, that's our first point this morning. But your intimacy with God will be forever changed in your willingness to enter into worship in deeper and greater ways. In a nutshell, that's it, we can pray and go home now if we all get that one down. It's that big of a deal. It's an intimacy thing. I was raised Catholic. There was really no worship in my upbringing. Maybe some of you have a different experience, but for me, when I began to go to a Bible teaching church and saw people worship, I'm thinking, what are they doing? That's weird. In fact, I used to get there after the music so I didn't have to deal with that because that seemed weird to me. What are they, I just want the message. Give me, give me a take home Give me something I can hold on to. But that's weird stuff. There's people doing this. You know, whatever. I'm just going to sit down and just wait, man. And as time went on, I realized that they they were having an intimate moment with God. They didn't care that anybody was seeing them or not seeing them. It had nothing to do with anyone in the room. They were having a moment with God. And I started thinking, wonder what's going on over there. I mean, what's happening in the invisible realm? and I began to learn what the Bible says about worship, and there are these spiritual dimensions to worship, which we're going to cover a little bit today. And it starts with intimacy, guys. Before we loved him, he first loved us, the Bible says. He had love for you before you even really understood or knew who he was. It really started with God initiating love towards you and I and our responding, but it's an intimate thing. And and love is not just a feeling, it's this choice. And 1 Corinthians 13 lists all these different verbs on the way love manifests, what it looks like. And, and I would say it's the same thing in our life, the way we express it. Worship, worship is our response to recognizing how awesome and how powerful and amazing he is. If we would stop for a moment and really focus on his power, his, his presence and his person, there's nothing else you could do but worship. Do you realize that? If you really, right now, God Almighty showed up in the room, just his presence manifest in a very visible, tangible way. You know what we would do? That's what we do. And we'd probably put our faces on the ground. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Why? Because when you see him face to face, that's all you'll be able to do. And in the Bible, there's all kinds of snapshots in Revelation and in Isaiah of, of pictures, snapshots of heaven and what it looks like and what's going on. There is praise and adoration because I think when you see God for who he really is, you can't help but praise him. And that's the radical thing about this. The question is, are we willing to be intimate with God and do that? Or are we going to be more at a distance and learn about and understand and maybe pray and ask him some requests we have? Will our faith be cognitive? We have these things on our mind and we want to ask you, Lord, to fix or heal these things. Uh, we have these problems, Lord, and yes, I love you and bless my day. Or will we say, you know what? I want to go beyond that. I want to get intimate with a living God. And is there a way to do that? Because if there is, I want to know what it is and I want to know how to approach it because I want to get closer. That's why a lot hinges on intimacy. Really, really important. Um, The next little snapshot, and by the way, we're skimming through the word at some of these really cool snapshots. I just want to say Ezra chapter three, cool snapshot. In Ezra chapter three, there's a radical thing that happens. The Israelites, they were off in captivity and now they're about to come home. They're coming home to Jerusalem. Their city is in ruins. There are no walls around their city. Their temple is destroyed. And so what is the first thing they do when they come back to the city? I know if you and I came back to the city, we'd have an idea what were first thing we're going to build. First, we're going to build some walls. Got to protect the women and children, right, men? I mean, come on, you got to do something. First thing we're going to do is start working on this or working on that. You know what the first thing they did? The first thing they built when they came back from captivity was an altar. Because they said, no matter what, we're going to worship first. Before we build anything, we're going to worship. It is profound. And all the rest of the success came from i believe putting god first in worship bible says seek first god and his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you seeking god first they came back and they sought god first in worship i think it's an amazing snapshot these guys knew that when you have a love life when you have love in your life when you're in a love relationship there are some first things first clearly there's some priorities if you have a love life and that's what these guys had down There are too many people in the Bible to mention, but you can follow Abraham and Isaac everywhere they went. First thing they do is they set up an altar. Why? Because they're like, I don't, I'm in a new place, I'm in uncharted territory, but the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have a moment with the Lord. I wanna worship, I wanna, I wanna spend some time with the living God. This is not just New Testament, this is throughout Scripture in worship, in spending time with God. Uh, Another one who knew that well was Noah. Now Noah had been on an ark for, you know, a half a year, and the first thing you'd probably be thinking, and I, after eating sushi for six months, out at sea, you'd be thinking, hey, as soon as we park this ship, we're going to look for a nice piece of carne asada somewhere and have a nice steak. I mean, we'd be thinking about something like that. You know, the first thing he did, he built an altar. Because the first thing he knew when he got his feet on regular ground is I want to have a moment with the Lord and thank him. I want to commune with him. And guys, when you look at these people who understood worship, you get an understanding of why profound things happen through their life. God's like, I can identify with you. We're spending time together. You get it. You get it. And when you get it, God can use you. But some keep their distance. God, you're up there. I don't know how knowable you are. But I honor and respect you and I will make my requests known to you from time to time. And others are like, no, it's a lot bigger than this. I want to get closer to you. I actually want to spend time, I want to be a worshiper. And some of these people had it down. Uh, The second point this morning is, is to do what these people did, is to prioritize the worship in your love life. In your love life with God, choose to prioritize worship. Worship is not an afterthought It's not a whatever, and do we sing a song at the end of church? Okay, well, whatever, or during the week. No, prioritize the worship in your life. Begin to learn what that's about. Discover what it is to be a worshiper. Because when you're like these guys, Abraham, Isaac, no, when you start prioritizing worship in your life, there is profound revelation. On that note, I would encourage you guys um, here at church to try to show up on time. You know, we're not legalistic about this, but worship starts actually a little before 10. 10 o'clock officially, but uh, the team has been starting a few minutes early. Why? So that we can walk right into worship and that we can spend time and be alone with the Lord. And don't be like I used to be, where I would come and wait for the music to be over because I want a message that I can take home. I'm looking for some tools to use. Okay, that's part B. But part A is spending time with God first. Because when you spend time with God, in the spiritual realm, he changes your mind, your disposition, your heart. You're in a completely different place to hear the word of God, honestly. So try to show up on time. Um, another little snapshot, 1 Samuel 16, and then we're going to get into some of these other texts. This is really cool. Again, we're just doing an overview on worship. Hopefully, we're hitting some main points that, that we can really understand. This has to do with the heart of worship. In 1 Samuel 16, um, This is what God says in verse seven. It says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's pretty radical because back in Israel's times, there'd be Pharisees dressed up and sitting in front rows and doing all these things that had the appearance of worship. And God was looking straight at the heart. There's something to be said about this. We don't think about worship, God looking through everything and looking straight into your heart. I mean think about that some people are like no I'm I'm cool over here (laughs) don't look into the heart and and other people like well Lord I don't have it down but would you look in my heart Lord I want to know your heart father and would you would you make yourself known to me and they're willing to let God look in the heart listen God's not looking at the outside he's not looking at perfection none of us are perfect that's why we all need a Savior but he's looking at a heart that's willing he's looking for a heart condition And when he finds that heart condition, like the earlier worshipers I was talking about, he says, wow, I have found someone who gets it. I've found someone who understands. I've found someone that I can speak to and impart things and give direction to because they spend time with me. I mean, could you imagine, you know, some of you dads, you have children. What if your kids spent no time with you? What if your kids spent no time with you at all? There wouldn't be a love relationship And you wouldn't be understanding each other's hearts, but when you can get down on your knee and look your child in the eye and have a heart-to-heart and understand, that's what a love relationship is all about. So that's really important. And someone who knew what this was all about was David. David. King David, when he was a little boy, knew this really well. David was out in the fields as a shepherd, playing his harp and writing worship songs to the living God. He's looking at God's creation and saying, God, you're amazing. We praise you. And he's writing all these songs on his harp. It's amazing. He went on to write some of the greatest hits, which we're still reading today, in the book of Psalms. He wrote many of those songs of praise and adoration to God. Why? Because he got it. And let me just share another little angle on worship that we don't always realize spiritual warfare is real. The Bible says there's an invisible realm. Greater are the things that are unseen than the things that are seen. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says it's not about flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. There are dimensions to the invisible realm that we don't see, but they exist. Sometimes you feel that, but you don't see that necessarily. David, as a young worshiper, his worship was so powerful because he began to enter into worship more and more with God. That when King Saul was tormented by an evil spirit, the only way it went away, listen to this, is David coming and praising and singing praises to the living God. And you know what the demon said? We're out of here. We are out of here. Because the demonic realm can't even sit and listen to that. They can't tolerate God being praised like that. And so David would come in to Saul who was being tormented, not as a warrior, not with a bow, not with a spear, not with a sword, not with a shield. No, he came in with praise and worship. And in the midst of his praise and worship, the demonic realm said, we are out of here. And Saul was in his right mind. Some of you might not think of worship as warfare, but believe it or not, there's an element of warfare to your worship as well. Uh, when you praise God at home in your car, just turn up the praise, get... Get in a habit of maybe turning off some of the talk radio or stuff. And at home, pop in worship songs on the style and the genre that you like, that give God glory, that same anointed. Watch what changes in your home when the disposition of praise is given more platform. Watch what happens in your car, in your house. This is really important. David understood that. The demonic realm was gone. David went on later on to say in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my ways. I love this. He's like, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. He's saying, God, I'm going to take this heart. Now listen, David was a real worshiper. Uh, He he understood worship well. David's like, Lord, I want to put this heart out for you, and I'm not perfect, and I've got stuff going on here I'm not really proud of, but I, I want to say I love you, God, and would you search this heart? Would you do something to this heart? Let me just tell you, that is not only being intimate, that is being profoundly vulnerable, profoundly vulnerable and a love relationship requires vulnerability. Here is something interesting. Most people are not sure how vulnerable they want to be in relationships. Uh, In fact, the Eagles sung that song, Desperado. You guys know that song? Desperado about somebody who is not willing to ever be vulnerable again. They're losing all their highs and lows and they're just going to say, I'm not going to be vulnerable anymore. I'm going to stay right here and let me just tell you something with the living God. It's not only okay to be vulnerable, it is safe and it is good to be vulnerable with the living God. And worship is about intimacy, it's about a willingness to be vulnerable with God. It's a willingness to say, like David, Lord, search my heart, know my thoughts, know what's going on in here, know my anxious ways. I got anxieties about this, Lord, and I'm worried about this. And I'm But I want to put it all before you. I want to come before you and spend time with you. I want you to see everything that's going on, God. Now, here's the thing. He sees it anyway. But it's amazing when we're willing to put it forth before him willingly. It's it's a radical vulnerability and an intimacy that God sees. And he says, I can bless that. And David had that down quite well. And that's why God said, this is a man after my own heart. Why? Because he understands worship. He understands vulnerability in in, in his love relationship with the living God. So if you're you're a note taker this morning, that's the third point. Become more vulnerable with the Lord through worship. It is intimacy and it is being vulnerable. And a lot of people are like, I don't want to be vulnerable. If I get vulnerable, I might get hurt. And we end up being like that song, Desperado. And there's no hope and future in that. There's got to be a vulnerability. And with the living God, it is safe. So learn to become more vulnerable with the Lord through worship. Uh, I, I understood that, as Christy was saying earlier, to, uh, to surrender. It's a sign of surrender. At first, I said, I'm not raising my hands. That's what those guys do. And then later on, I'm thinking, well, would I be willing to surrender my, uh, raise my hands in, in two ways? Part one is surrender, and part two is praise. Would I be willing to say, all right, God, I surrender? or lift them and say, I I praise you. This is an outward expression of an inward reality. This is what's going on in here. Now, we yawn and raise our hands all the time. We're cool with that. At a football game, yeah, all right. We're we're quick, we're quick to do that. It's no big deal, right? But with God, I don't want to be vulnerable or I don't want to know what other people will feel. And what happens to the living God of the universe, the maker of your soul, who loves you before you loved him, who knows you better than you know yourself, who's got plans that are phenomenal to prosper. We pull our hands down when we ought to be able to go, God, I, I do surrender to you. This is not a charismatic thing. It's just a biblical thing. I, I love you. I praise you and I surrender to you. It shouldn't be hard to do that. Become more vulnerable with the, word, the Lord through worship and Here's here's a text I want to jump into and it's in your in your bulletin Hebrews chapter 10. This is profound. There is a lot going on. Here's a New Testament snapshot of what worship really looks like. Now, to understand this passage, you have to understand the what you have to understand what worship looked like for the history of Israel. In the history of Israel, when you went to worship, you would go up to the temple. Specifically, three times a year were mandated, required, but people would go up regularly. And they would go up and they would worship the Lord. And when you would go up, they even had some of the Psalms in the Bible were called songs of ascent. When you're ascending up to the temple, you're singing these songs to prepare your heart. So it wasn't just coming to the temple and singing. There were people singing on their way to the temple to get their heart in the right place, just like you and I driving here, turning up the praise, getting our heart in the right place before we even come to the house of God. And they were doing this, but here's what happened when they got there. There was the outer court of the temple. There was the inner court of the temple. Then there was the Holy of Holies. And that's where the presence of God was. The unfortunate thing is, you can come into the courts, but you could never, ever, ever go into the Holy of Holies. That's where the presence of God was. And you and I didn't qualify to go there. In fact, the priest didn't even qualify to go there. Only one priest, once a year, could go into the Holy of Holies in the presence of God. But the reality is we were kept out because God's so powerful, and we all fall short, and we can't be in his presence. That's the reality of worship in the history of Israel. Snapshot to Hebrews chapter 10. It's in your bulletin. This is through Jesus Christ, how He opened the door and He paved the way and He permanently changed the way worship will ever be because of what Jesus did. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is His body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a radical snapshot saying that, yes, before we couldn't get into the holy of holies, but now we can. But is our heart okay? Is our heart allowed to be there? Because there's stuff that goes on in these human hearts of ours that doesn't seem like it should be in the presence of God. And he's saying, through what Jesus did, you're okay. There used to be an enormous thick curtain, you know, like a theater curtain, Take a theater curtain times 10, okay? That's what was separating anyone from the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died on the cross, it got ripped in two. It was torn. And what was unaccessible for you and I is now accessible for you and I. And it's the very presence of God. I mean, are you guys hearing that? The very presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. We couldn't go. We weren't invited. We weren't allowed. We didn't qualify. But because of what Jesus did, the curtain is torn and you got a wide open invitation to the holy of holies. Think of that. Do you get a picture of that? I mean, think of that. Think of coming up to the temple with all your friends, family, and everything. You're in the outer courts and you're seeing there's another realm up there and even the priest didn't go but once a year and you're like, I wonder what it would be like, the presence of God, but I'll never know. I mean, personally, I'll never know. And when Jesus died, the curtain was torn and you have a wide open invitation to the living God saying, come in. And you're thinking, can I do that? I don't feel like I qualify. Exactly. None of us qualify. That's what grace and mercy are about. Yet come in. That's why it's a gift. It's an invitation to the holy of holies. And that's what people experience in worship. Worshippers who begin to understand it begin to understand that as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Do you know that? That's what he says. He says that. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. But aren't you the God who's up in heaven somewhere out there and not knowable? He's like, no, I'm very knowable. I loved you before you loved me. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And as this happens, radical things happen. Step number four is to accept God's invitation to draw closer through worship. Worship is the pathway. It's a pathway to intimacy with God. We do draw closer. It tells us right in this passage in Hebrew, draw closer, come into the holy of holies. The curtain is torn. You're invited. In fact, it says to come boldly. Really? Not, tim- not with timidity, not like you're a little kid checking the ice, is it gonna crack? As you're stepping out on the ice for any of you people from back east, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, not that, boldly. Can I do this? Yes, he says, come, run, come. Really, can I, ru-? yes, boldly, come. And that's his invite, that is profound to me. I think if we really saw the temple and we really saw the holy holies, we would get this, but we take for granted what this opportunity is like. This tells us that we get to love with confidence and it tells us that our love is intentional, that we can charge right into the Holy of Holies, not disrespectfully, but with a boldness, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. And we can enter into this place going, wow, I didn't know I can actually enter into your presence. He's like, sure you can. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. It's that simple, but there's a willingness and a vulnerability. And when you worship God, Don't worship God to get something. See, a lot of times we come to church, we want to, we want to get a message that I can take home and, you know, hold on, use this for the week and be victorious in my life with God. And that's good. That's good. The word's got all kinds of powerful elements and tools and revelation and, and that's beautiful. But when you come to worship, don't worship God with hands like gimme, gimme, gimme. Don't come to get, come to give. When you come to worship, come to give him the praise because he's simply worthy. He's just worthy of praise. And when you come and you praise him because he is worthy, don't be surprised if he shows up and does something. Now here's another part about the supernatural aspect about the living God. He is the, everyone say living God. He's the living God. He is the living God. And this is an aspect of God being a living God that we experience is through worship. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. How does that happen? Because he's the living God. And here's a little snapshot in Isaiah chapter six, something radical is happening. Isaiah is in the temple and he's worshiping God. He's having a moment with God, just like we do in the morning, praising the living God, worshiping the living God. And this is what happened all of a sudden in the middle of worship. Bam, something happened. Isaiah chapter six and verse eight, it says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, well, here I am. Send me. Cool little snapshot. He's in the middle of worship. In the middle of his worship moment with God, he hears the voice of God. Check this out. He's not hearing God speak to him. He's hearing God saying, who will go for us? You got a snapshot, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are about to send people into the world to do radical things. Who are we going to send? Who's going to go for us? And in a place of worship, Isaiah overhears God speaking about somebody he wants to send. I don't know if that does anything for you. That blows me away. That being in a place of worship, hearing God's voice, the living God, creator of the universe, hearing him speak, that's radical stuff, guys. That is the living God in action. And it happened through worship. And he's in this place. Oswald Chambers puts it this way. God did not direct his call to Isaiah. Isaiah overheard God saying, who will go for us? The call of God is not just for a select few, but for everyone. Whether I hear God's call or not depends on the condition of my ears. And exactly what I hear depends on my spiritual attitude. So he's in a place with the right spiritual attitude in worship. And in that place, revelation came. It's a biblical premise. It happens. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So the point is, and it's our fifth point, is that true love, true love listens. And true worshipers do too. If you're truly in love with your husband, your wife, your spouse, your friend, you listen. With the living God, you you do the same thing. You worship him, but you're willing to listen, to hear his voice. You know, anybody who doesn't think that God still speaks today is really missing out on a big aspect of the kingdom of God. The Bible says by definition that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to lead you, to guide you, to comfort you. These are all attributes in your life to direct your ways and steps. To think that God doesn't speak and reveal himself that way is to completely discount the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is not not biblical. Be open to that. Be open to God uh, in his direction in your life that way. And the last little snapshot I want to give you is John chapter 14. John chapter 14, this is a quick snapshot if you want to turn there to verse 21 or it's in the bulletin. Here is a snapshot on what true worship is. Because some think, is this worship? Is this worship? And what does worship look like? True worship. It says this, John 14, verse 21. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. You might want to underline that in your Bible. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is like, I am the Messiah, madam You're speaking to him. And if you want to know about worship, I'm going to tell you how worship works. I'm going to tell you what it looks like. He says a few things. In fact, that's our last sixth point this morning, is to worship in spirit, and in truth. And also make it your life uh, long study to discover the dimensions. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Some will be, I don't know, just let's move on. And others will say, no, what does it mean? I mean, what does it really mean to worship in spirit and in truth? To Jesus, it's a big deal. It's not a whatever, move on. It's like, Jesus lays it out. You wanna know what true worship is? You wanna know what it is? He said, First of all, God is spirit. And if you're going to have any interaction with him, it can't happen in the flesh. It's going to happen in the spirit. So what he's saying is, when we get to a place where we kind of shut out the outside world, we'll at least begin with your eyes closed in worship. If you're not familiar with some of these postures of worship or willing, at least get here on time for worship. Sit and close your eyes. Forget about everything going on. Focus on the Lord. That's how we start to get out of the flesh and into the spirit, sensitive. And from there, God may lead you to stand. He may lead you to surrender. He may lead you, he may show you some things. I know there was a journey in my life, but it begins with understanding that God is spirit and true worship must happen in the spiritual realm. That's why it's cool to hold a hymnal and and read a song and flip the page, second verse, same as the first, high five, how you doing neighbor? That's cool, it's a good start. But true worship happens in the spirit not in the natural. And so there's this journey. And this truth is biblical truth. It's worshiping the Father through the provision of Jesus the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's worshiping in spirit and in truth. And if you were to ask some of your Christian friends, what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? You're gonna get, I don't know, who knows? I don't know, let me go ask somebody. I'm just telling you, make this a lifelong study. Jesus said this is what a true worshiper is. I believe you're here today because you want to be a true worshiper. You desire to be a true worshiper, and so do I. I'm still a student of worship, and we all are. Someday what we now know in part, we're going to see face to face. There's going to be some radical revelation and understanding when we get to heaven. But in the meantime, to live our life in the abundant life, to live our life in the power of God, according to the will of God, according to the word of God, as true worshipers, a lot of stuff happens I would encourage you that if you step up this area of your love life with God, you're going to see outflow in many other areas. Worship is such a big deal. And that's why we wanted to stop today to, to talk about that. And so let's just do this for a moment. If we could just all stand together. I want, to, I want to encourage you. First, stand up and stretch. Just stretch. We're going to worship for a second. Now that you're used to being able to move your hands, no one thinks you're weird. Nobody thinks you're weird at all. We're, we're going we're gonna to worship right now, but I want you to just join with me in, an, in, in a worship moment for a minute as the worship team is going to begin in a second. Would you, just, would you just close your eyes right now and just kind of focus on the Lord? And like David, when he said, search my heart, he kind of put his heart out there for God. If you can almost take your heart out and put it you know, out in front of you and say, God, here, here it is. It's not a perfect heart, but I love you and search my heart, know my heart. If, if there's anything I want you to know, Lord, it's, uh, it's that I love you. And if you, if you love the Lord, would you just say that with me? Would you say, I love you, Lord? Ready? I, I love you, Lord. So let's, let's say that together. Ready? One, two, three. I, I love you, Lord. And that, that's a beautiful place to start and beginning to proclaim. And, and, and on that note, if you would be willing to either hold your hands up either in surrender to God or praise to God, or maybe both. Maybe one hand is surrender and the other one is praise. Just, maybe you've never done it before. No one's looking at you. This is just between you and the Lord. And with your hands up like that in surrender and praise, would you say even a, a little bit louder now, say, I love you, Lord. And, and lastly, if these were your last words on earth and you got to shout this out one time, no one's looking at you. This is a moment between you and the Lord. Just forget about anyone in the room. But With your hands raised either in surrender or worship, again, as loud as you can on the count of three, tell him you love him. Ready? One, two, three. I love you, You Lord. You are the one I praise. 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 You are the one I pray. You are the one I pray. You are the one I praise. You are the one I pray. You are the one I pray. You are the one I pray. God, we praise you, Lord. We praise you as a people. We praise you as a church. And I pray that, Lord, we would leave here as worshipers. We would set up our altars. We would praise you in the car. We would praise you at home. That praise would be on our lips all the time. You're a good God, and you are alive, and you are well. You are the living God. And I pray that as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us, that you would make yourself known in our lives. And that, Lord, your love would outflow into the lives of those around us. And they would know that we are just people that spend time with the living God and love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Do we love them, church? Amen. Amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com